Welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Rex is back from the Honda Classic. We'll get his take certainly on the unlikely Chris Kirk, Eric Cole duel, as well as Jack Nicholas, at least somewhat spilling the beans on what the 2024 PGA Tour schedule is going to look like. We'll also look ahead to Bay Hill, the fourth designated series event of the tour season with Rory McIlroy. We'll look to get back on track, and we'll also discuss the Live 2.0 opener in Mayakoba. All-around good guy, Charles Howell III, got the W. Rex, you are live, reporting live from the Arnold Palmer Invitational Media Center. And I always joke, because uh, before moving to Nocatee about a year and a half ago, this was my hometown event as well. And yet, great tournament, always great field, golf course is what it is. But this was not much of a hometown event for me. It always took me an hour to get from where I lived in East Orlando all the way to the west side where Bay Hill is located. You live in Longwood, uh, which um, under normal circumstances would take probably 20 to 30 minutes depending on traffic. Do you care to weigh in with just how long it took you to arrive to Bay Hill today? This is, this is such a bad idea to do the podcast right now. Because... Uh, uh, Full disclosure, I just arrived at the... He's in a mood, folks. Folks, he is in a mood. I am in a mood. So it did. So normally it would take, you're right, about 25, 30 minutes from where I live in Longwood to make it to where Bay Hill is. And it took me an hour with traffic. Look, and that's it. I I got into this conversation yesterday. Why? It makes Uh, no sense. It's it's just traffic in Orlando. I, I understand it. And look, I'm not even, like, I'm going to have a lot of bad things to say. That's not one of them. I got into this yesterday with Jason Sobel, and I... My point is, this is my least favorite tour event. I'm just going to throw yep. it out there. And yep. for a lot of different reasons. First and foremost, I would never stay an hour away from a golf course, even with traffic. Even in L.A., where you're always going to end up with traffic, you're not an hour away. Or no. 20 minutes away or 30 minutes it. away. I was 20 minutes in the morning and about 40 going home, which is fine. So so that's number one. All right. Number two, it, uh, I, I think this is probably my 22nd or 23rd, whatever year it is. It's, it's two plus damn decades i've covered this event and every year the parking not gets suitable worse. for work uh not suitable for work no and not in the media center so every year the parking gets worse which all right i that's the part i don't want to wrap my mind around and it's just it's just a bad event and and look this is nothing ticket, against the, the ticket requests i'm sure are, are ticket request like i gotta as soon as i get off here i gotta go over there and beg the people on the desk for four tickets for whoever like my wife's friends and my father-in-law and like i'm just i'm fed up i'm, I'm done with it already and it's it's just tuesday morning it's just 9 a.m tuesday morning but here's the part that like really got me fired up this morning is it takes me an hour in orlando traffic all right i, I gotta wrap my mind around that from the time i reach essentially the front gates of bay hill for those who have never been here it's just a big sprawling central florida neighborhood is all yeah, it's it is just, it's, it's, it's just a neighborhood it's nothing glamorous it is not however it took me th- almost 30 minutes to get from the front gate to where I end up parking just because traffic and people got lost and there were trucks in the road and people were stopped and the whole nine yards. Here's the part that I want to lean into of all the things that I've said. And this is nothing against Mr. Palmer could have never had this vision, but when he, he plopped this tournament and this golf course down here, however many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, this was not the neighborhood that it is. It has since grown and it continues to grow into more of a congested Central Florida sprawling neighborhood. You should not have a major sporting event here. Every other major sport builds new arenas, new, fancier, better arenas, better parking, better skyboxes, better everything. This just gets worse and worse every year. And it's logistically, there's no other way around it. I, I, and I'm venting. Like, I, you got me. It's a, 
You triggered folks, me. He, folks, he's in a mood, I promise. You triggered me, and I'm not happy about this. But it, you just, this is a perfect example of how and, – and look, Augusta is probably the best comp, right? Like Augusta was plopped down into but some Augusta, urban Augusta is it, it's, its, own, its own category. And they have, they have bought up all the land around it for parking and Berkman's Place and everything else that they possibly need. I know you can't do that here. Like it's just not viable to do in Central Florida to do what they did here. Then you move somewhere where it can. And I don't even like this golf course. I don't think anyone's going to sit here no. and defend Bay Hill as one of those great golf courses that the tour has to go back to. Riviera, it's a great golf course. It's just plopped down in the middle of a neighborhood. Probably not the best place for a major sporting event. But you get Riviera. Here, you get the sprawl. You get the commute. You get all the traffic. And then you get Bay Hill. None of those things add up. I will say, it actually used to be worse. Like, Remember, it used to be a couple weeks later in the tour schedule. I would always tell my wife, like, oh, this is the beginning of of summer it was always like 90 degrees humid i'd be sweating walking around the golf course but it was a couple weeks later and it was always up against the first round of the ncaa basketball tournament and sometimes they had that tournament at amway which is you know basically halfway in between your commute in longwood and where bay hill is located there was there never seemed to be a lot of interest in the first couple rounds because everyone was distracted with their various pools and such it was always spring break for this for the schools up north and so you had the spring break uh vacation traffic as well it was never a good deal i'm happy that i will never cover uh the bay the arnold palmer invitational you'll be here tomorrow as long go soft yes. do this tomorrow when you come here yeah but not but not but not to cover uh the tournament thankfully to do a a, a super secret project i will say and i was talking to a pj tour meet official Stuart moore about this, I absolutely love having one of the six biggest tournaments of the year in my hometown. I'm on the opposite side of where all the congestion is. It's going to take me 15 minutes to get to the golf course. Six. It seems you saw 16. Wait, give me your list. One of the oh. top six. Give me your list. Four majors of the Ryder Cup. Obvious. Oh, it's one, so of six, that, it's, one of the, okay. it's one of the six biggest tournaments in the world. I think that's indisputable. And to have it in my backyard with no traffic. Uh, PJ Tour does a great job. That's a great fan experience. It's a great parking experience for us as media members. We have Again, everything that we major sporting event that they have turned into yards. a major sporting venue. Major yep. sporting event they have turned into a major sporting venue. You know what they haven't done here at Bay Hill? That. Yep. Uh, so I'm very uh, happy to host I, that. I should next probably week. dial back the coffee right about now too, right? <laughs> well, I was, I'm actually surprised you haven't finished it. Uh, since you were stuck in traffic uh, for so long. Uh, you are, this is, this is also back-to-back weeks for you, which uh, could partly explain your uh, crankiness. You were at the Honda not, Classic last week. Let's, let's start right with the non-golf stuff, because Jack Nichols came into the booth on Sunday. He also looked like he met with a handful of reporters, including yourself. And he let slip a couple of secrets in regards to the 2024 PGA Tour schedule. What did you glean from those conversations? Uh, well, what he let slip, and I kind of reported it earlier in the week, because of the way the calendar falls next year and going ahead the next couple of years, there was Leap going year? to be an extra. Um, well, not necessarily, but it, it's sort of the oddity of how the calendar falls. Like, I've had a tour official try to explain this to me numerous times. There is actually an extra week. And so that extra week will go in between Los Angeles and Honda. So, like, I talked, we, I think we actually talked about this on the podcast last week that Honda officials, whatever they become after Honda leaves, they're confident that that extra week will give them a little bit of shelter between all of these designated events. Now, Jack did let it slip. That that extra week will be essentially the Mexico event. That move from Mayacoba, that is no longer a tour stop. It's now a live golf stop. It's moving to Cabo, which sounds pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever been to Cabo, but that 
I'm going to put in. I've been one. to Cabo. Unfortunately, no great players are going to play there, and so we would have little reason to go there. Yeah. Uh, so what you would end up with now? The, the one thing that he did say, and and look, everybody down at PGA National was like all uber confident that they will find a replacement sponsor. My guess is they already have a replacement sponsor lined up. They just didn't want to announce it the week of Honda. Like like let them have their 42nd year and, and move on, and it'll be announced in the next few weeks. Keep in mind, there was a board meeting. The the, the PGA Tour board met last night monday night in orlando so i think we're probably going to start hearing and seeing a lot of things about next year's schedule and the coming week now the one thing that jack did that surprised me and i've since kind of talked to some folks about it is his argument is scottsdale will not be a designated event next year and that riviera and pebble will be pebble's fascinating to me uh i had a player Boy, tell me last love night hearing that you and i talked you and i talked about that for well about you're not hour. gonna like this then then you're not Uh-oh. gonna like this oh no well you, they, you can't have the pro-am format as a designated event. That was the hang-up. I think we had this conversation. Players aren't going to want to do that. Like the top players aren't going to correct want to, to go Six to Monterey. Rounds. Well, it sounds terrible. Yeah. So they're going to. From what I was told, it's going to be four rounds at Pebble. They're going to do away with the pro-am version of it. Uh, they're probably Hallelujah. fine. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It is a Pebble Beach U.S. Open in February on the PGA Tour. That is the best case scenario. Love that. I absolutely love that, Rex. Because, no, I, because, I disagree with because, you. Because, because here's why. <clears throat> when you talk about bucket list courses, we talk about courses that the, either the casual sports fan, the general sports fan, uh, the, the diehard sports fan, and particularly the golf fans, absolutely love in the United States. It's what? Augusta National, Pinehurst, I think Bandon's starting to get to that category, and Pebble Beach. And so if, if the PJ Tour has Pebble Beach – at its disposable every single year, it should be, it's imperative, it's prerogative to make that tournament as good as possible. So to have 72 holes, they can make that golf course as easy or as difficult as they want. I absolutely love the fact that you are going to have all of the best players in the world teeing it up, 72 holes at Pebble, and you do not have the Pro-Am portion. Absolutely love it. I think that's a home run choice by the PGA Tour. Uh, and I disagree. And, and again, I think we've, we've talked about this. There is a legacy to Pebble Beach. There, there's something that makes the Crosby, the Crosby, the old Clambake, whatever it is you want to call it. This is nostalgia. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't resonate with the audience anymore. It really doesn't. It, it, might be, it might be great for the players who are participating. It's obviously great for the amateurs. But for the fans sitting at home, it, it, like no one wants to see Ray Romano and Bill Murray and Aaron Rodgers play golf. Oh, I disagree. John Rom, Scotty, and Rory go head-to-head. I disagree. I will say, look, Scottsdale probably would stand on its own. Scottsdale is sure. an event un- it unto itself. It does not need to be a designated event. I would say the same thing about the idea that Pebble can stand on its own. And, and I disagree with what you're saying. I, I think you, you get the celebrities. Eight, you got eight top 50 players this year. Well, and you're also missing sort of the big element of this. You went to the celebrity portion of the AM. I'm going to the other way. And I guess the best example of this is – all of the CEOs that play in that event, our, our CEO, Brian Roberts, for example, every year he plays with Ryan Palmer. It's the highlight of his year by, by all accounts. He, he loves being out there. He loves golf. This is the connection that the PGA Tour has, corporate America, a lot that other sports don't have the luxury to have. That You don't have CEOs out running plays with Aaron Rodgers. Like That's just not going to happen. So I think what you're doing here, maybe... Maybe they're at the, maybe they're in the dark cave in the retreat. Maybe they're trying to come up with some sort of answer in the dark. I don't know, but I think there is there there is it's part of the fabric of the tour. So I that would make me sad. I understand it, but I I don't know if that's the best way to go. 
it's not going away forever would be my counter to that. It's one year on probably, what, a three-year type of rotation. Maybe you get the Farmers back in the mix. Maybe Phoenix gets back in the mix. So one of every three years where you lose the Pro-Am portion and make this essentially a U.S. Open in February, uh, I am all for that. I'm still a little skeptical, Rex, that the Honda is going to get a great field. You look about what the, the West Coast swing would look like. So you're still looking at a, at, at, a, at Farmers and then – an elevated pebble and then Phoenix and then an elevated uh, Genesis before you go to Mexico. And then you would have then three in a row, although Honda's whatever becomes of the Honda is not going to be elevated. You still have Bay Hill and the players going back to back. So you're essentially telling the top players who by all accounts do like to play in Phoenix, you'd be teeing up six of seven weeks if they wanted to play uh, the Honda as well. I just don't see that. That's a very ambitious schedule leading into the masters um i I could see i could see the playing five it probably would get a a a couple more of those south florida types but i don't think they love the golf course at pga national and i don't think they want to necessarily play uh, that much in that condensed of a time period especially with with maui still being elevated i think jack's point is valid and again everyone i spoke to last week at pga national there there is an optimism no are they going to get the field they we're able to muster, let's say, five, six, seven years ago where they leveraged the idea that, look, we're in South Florida. We're in your backyard for all of these top players now. And Jack got involved and Barbara Nicholas got involved. And no, I don't think it, it goes back to there. It will be better than what we had last week. It would be hard to be worse than what we had last week. Let's be honest. And I think you can come up with a scenario where they're fine with that version of the product because it's always going to be a struggle. And, and I will say, and this isn't even, this is going to come off as me being hypercritical. It's not because as you pointed out, players don't want to play five weeks in a row in this scenario where there's two designated events sure. sandwiched sure. on each end. I, I did say, I did think it was bad form that Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth announced, and look, this wasn't them announcing, but the Valspar announced that they're going to be in the field right in the middle of a Honda Classic. I, I thought that was bad form. Now I'm not even Maybe this isn't shade directed at JT or Jordan. No, Maybe yeah, Valspar I mean, should have been the yeah. ones. JT lives within minutes of that golf course down in South Florida, PJ National. He is clearly. But I part think of that's an indication, isn't it, Rex, of what these players think of PJ National versus what they think of Innisbrook, which to me is one of the best courses in Florida. It really is. I would say it's the best course in the Florida swing. Now your your hometown venue is probably gonna you're probably gonna clap back on me on that one. I, I think Innisbrook, the Copperhead course, is the best course of the floor in Florida. Um, yeah. I will say yes, you're right. Guys don't like going to PGA National and getting beat up. But if you look at last week's scoring average, that's as easy as that course has ever played. And look, the win had a lot to do with that. But there was also some design changes. I mean, they took a lot of bunkers out, a lot of fairway bunkers out. The rough was almost nearly- it almost seemed like they make it made it easier, didn't they? Oh, by far. Absolutely. I mean, every player I talked to pointed out that, no, like this rough is not nearly as penal as it normally is. Was that player driven, do you think? Probably. Or, I mean, even Jack said it. If you listen to uh, when he uh, came up in the NBC booth during Sunday's telecast, he talked about, I don't think anybody wants to show up here and get beat up because you're going to turn around and get beat up the very next week at Bay Hill. And then you're going to turn around and get beat up the very next week at TPC Sawgrass. Guys certainly don't want to do that. So if they can dial it down, and, again, this was kind of weather-driven. I mean, that was a pretty calm week in South Florida. But, yes, there was the golf course was more receptive. They put some water on it because there was no rain. The rough was down. And, like, number six, for example, I, I did a whole piece on Golf Central one night just about they removed two fairway bunkers down the yeah, right-hand side. That's criminal. Criminal. 
And it just opens up the hole. I'm standing on the hole during practice rounds with Billy Horschel, and like his eyes lit up as soon as he looked. Like, oh man, this is a completely different hole. Yes, they had to make it a little bit easier. Did they have to? I don't really know. Uh, but that uh, was they did. Okay, so I think a lot of that was was obviously weather driven. I mean, that was one of the most benign Honda Classics that I can remember and remember. I mean, the 15 under winning score was the lowest since the event moved to PJ National back in 2007 and with the winner uh chris kirk it was obviously pretty exciting uh over the final hour there you had the head scratching scratching decision to not just blast it off of the grandstands get a free drop pitch on and try and make your five that way instead uh chris kirk who, who almost exclusively plays a draw uh push a little bit hit it in the hit it in the pond and then uh then stuffed a wedge in overtime to deny Eric Cole. Rex, I do not get emotional listening to PJ Tour players very often. This had nothing to do with the fact that uh, Chris Kirk is a proud Georgia alum like myself. But wow, what a story of perseverance, personal triumph, overcoming um, some, some personal challenges as he did uh, divulging three or four years ago uh, that he was battling depression and alcohol abuse. And to now be a PJ Tour winner once again you had an opportunity to speak with him right off uh, the 18th green uh, were you as moved as i was listening um to to kind of his journey over the past couple of years yeah because and and look in in the heat of the moment you kind of get caught up in, in what's happening in the playoff and sort of the execution of the shots but my mind immediately went to the idea that this is a guy who had won four times on the pga tour but not since 2015 and as you pointed out since 2015 a lot had changed in his life i mean a lot of improvement a lot of self-actualization, a lot of things that he has been public to speak about. And I, I was moved by his answer, the idea that he said that he wouldn't be where he is without sobriety and without his wife and without that support structure. I think, and I remember I had to go back and look at the story. It was here at Bay Hill three years ago where I kind of caught up with Chris and he sort of opened up about the idea that he'd been dealing with depression. And I think we spent some time on this podcast talking about the idea that it's really easy for us to dismiss the mental health aspect of being a professional athlete, but especially a golfer. And just imagine you're losing so much more than you're ever winning, and you've got you've to live with that. I mean, that's got to just wear on you after a while. So, yes, I think that was a cool story. I, I have to admit, it wasn't until I was driving home Monday morning, and I was, of all places, looking at Twitter that I, I kind of actually missed Sunday's story. Uh, yeah, kind of scrolling a little bit. It was on the sure. turnpike, so it's, it's a pretty lonely drive. Um, and I was kind of scrolling through Twitter, and, and I, I didn't put this story together. But, again, we talked about how bad the field was at the Honda Classic. I would argue that, man, that was one of the best finishes as far as storytelling that you could totally. possibly. I mean, we touched on Chris Kirk. We touched on those issues. But Eric Cole is an unbelievable story, a 30-something-year-old rookie. I mean, obviously his mom, Laura Ball, LPGA Tour legend. His father, Bobby Cole, PGA Tour winner. But everything that he had gone through to get to that point. And, look, he was probably – just as emotional, if not more so, than Chris after the fact because he knows this was a, an opportunity of a lifetime. But that – this was sort of an example of on non-designated weeks, this is as good as the PGA Tour can expect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had Pearson Cootie, uh, the hot shot newcomer from the University of Texas who was in the mix early after day one, ended up falling down the leaderboard. But you had him in the mix. You had Justin Suh, who was the Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year in 2022 – uh, who factored deep into the tournament as well. This, I mean, this is what, exactly what we're going to be talking about, Rex, for our Golf uh, Today hit, which will be 
on Wednesday? Like, do you prefer to see these underdog stories or do you want to see the superstars, the Roy's, the Roms, the Scotties win on the PG tour and tell those stories? I, I, I couldn't agree more that we're, we're starting to, to get a bigger sample size now of what the, the total PGA tour product can look like. You can have, you know, these, these, these glitzy and these glamorous designated events, maybe it's going to be top 70, maybe it's going to be a hundred. That is still very much TBD, but the beauty of these non-designated events is that they can be a spot for the dreamers, the resurgent players, the, the rising talents. And if you're a sports fan, if you're a diehard golf fan, it's really easy to invest in these people's personal stories and try to alter their career trajectories. And I kind of touched on this in the Monday Scramble that's now on GolfChannel.com. I think you contrast that, Rex, with what I don't like about Live. On Live, there, there's no context. There's no substantive storyline. It, it, it's basically like, like rooting for Leonardo DiCaprio to find true love. Like These guys already have a lot, and all they're getting now is just more. It's just more, more more they're 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 not playing for anything there's no significance there's no meaning to what they're trying to achieve and you contrast that right with what we saw at the honda classic you had chris kirk with his own personal redemption story you had eric cole 34 year old rookie who was trying to win in his 15th start you had justin Suh, who's trying to to realize all the immense potential that he had as an amateur former number one ranked amateur in the world part of that heralded class of 2019 with wolf morikawa and Hovland, like those are great stories. Those are stories that you want to invest in. And that Ryan is Gerard. the PGA Tour. Yeah, exactly. Monday qualifier uh, who finished fourth. Like that's, those are the stories that, that, that you can wrap your mind around and root for those players to then get into those designated events with all the stars. It was a, in retrospect, such a fascinating weekend. And I don't understand it. Uh, there's a lot going around on, there was, there was a lot going around on Twitter. On Sunday, about ratings between the, the two events, uh, to be clear, and, and I, I think I backstopped this enough, that the CW asked, actually asked the Nielsen's not to rate last week's event for whatever reason. And it didn't make any sense to me. So whatever numbers you're seeing on Twitter aren't real because the Nielsen's didn't rate that because the comparison was – it was always going to be an interesting comparison between what that Honda Classic field, a really bad field, we've already touched on it, got up against the very first live event with recognizable names and – Clearly, there was going to be a curiosity. I mean, the first of anything is going to draw people in. I had no idea. If, if ever Liv Goff was going to beat the PGA Tour head-to-head in this, if, in what will become a ratings war at some point, it was going to be last week. No? I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. So I, I don't understand the decision not to be able to go out there and, and pump your chest and say, look what we did compared to the Honda Classic. And I think it's because you touched on it. They realize their product is hollow if you go up against a situation like they, that whatever it is the Honda delivered, that you had all these stories that maybe your average golf fan doesn't have an interest in, but the hardcore golf fan certainly was, was dialed in. And the hardcore golf fan is going to have an interest in what Eric Cole does in the playoff and then going forward in his story. I, I just think it, was, it could have been such a monumental moment in what's going to become sort of this product war, and we're not going to get an answer. The only thing I'd like to see – the PJ Tour now do Rex, and it seems like an easy solution to quote unquote better 
the product. So, so, all right. So everyone's paying attention to Eric Cole. Now he does have a sponsor exemption in the Arnold Palmer invitational long ties to the Palmer family. Uh, best friends with Sam Saunders has won myriad club championships at Bay Hill. I get that under normal circumstances. However, Eric Cole would not be exempt into this designated tournament. Ryan Gerard, who finished fourth best uh, finished by a Monday qualifier in about four years on the PGA tours playing in Puerto Rico. That was the next available spot via a top 10. And so I'd love to see And it just makes sense to me, doesn't it? Like if you had a great week at the Honda classic, whether it's the top three finishers or whatever the case may be like automatically exempt into the next designated tournament. Cause like there's $3.6 million on offer for the winner this week at Bay Hill. Eric Cole, for instance, just cashed the biggest check of his life, like $900,000. It dwarfed anything he had done previously. He'd won 50-something times on the mini tours, and like this was like four times the amount that he had ever earned. Like If you want to continue rolling the dice on these stories and to have the sports fan follow them and to quote-unquote build stars, which you know to me, these designated events shouldn't just be recognizing the stars, you should be trying to be building them and developing them as well. That's an easy solution to me. Like, keep it rolling, see how he can do against stiffer competition when the stakes are much larger. Do you agree or disagree with that premise? Well, I agree. I think that's the conversation right now. I had a lot of conversations on the range last week with players who would probably and will continue to be in that position that you just described, where they're having a hard time figuring out, okay, there's going to be two separate tour schedules next year, the have and the have-nots, which we've discussed quite a bit. How do you become one of the haves? And the problem I think that the tour is dealing with is whether if people like it or not, I think most of these designated events are going to end up with limited fields, that most of these are going to be 70-man uh, probably at best. And so how do you fit in those two or three qualifiers, let's call them from the week before, with the people that you do also need to be there? I mean, the sponsors are going to be paying a lot of money to make sure they get the absolute best names in those fields. So it's a balancing act. And I don't think the tour has an answer yet. But the idea, at least among the rank and file, is get, give us an opportunity. And I'm not even talking about, you're right, Eric Cole is a great story. But even in there's certain scenarios where, let's say you finish 71st on this year's points list. That guy, whoever that guy is, let's say it's Chris Kirk, probably a bad example because he just won. But you can imagine a scenario where there is a veteran that's also trying to play his way back into these events. So I, you have to have, you do away with the meritocracy of it all, and suddenly it's a slippery slope. Rex, there is some breaking news uh, into the Golf Channel podcast with Rex and Lab. Uh, you and I teamed up for a third place finish in the special projects, along with uh, Jaime Diaz and Mercer Bags with our Tales of Tiger special project, uh, finishing third in there uh, of course uh let's see i think i also have a second place and then no one rex absolutely no one in the world has accrued more honorable mentions <laughs> over, over the past decade than i have i think i have at least two or three more uh in this year's slate uh and as it says uh in the gwa writing contest guidelines if you receive an honorable mention you will get nothing except a pat on the back so kudos to you third place finish uh, look forward to hanging that one on the wall as well. I know you were busy last week, Rex, with the Honda. I don't know how much attention you paid to the live opener, but it was won by Charles Howell the third. 
to me, this was a little bit more of the same that we saw in the beta season, right? Like there's a lot of bluster. There's a lot of talk about what live can be and what it can become more declarations of disruption and revolution from CEO Greg Norman. To me, the most interesting part of live remains the ancillary stuff where it's now team building like the Brooks and the Brysons and the DJs of the world are basically the team captains and they're in charge of the finances and determining how that's all going to shake out and they can kind of formulate the roster however they want. It, the, the transfer market where players who finish outside the top 24 in the point standings are able to be plucked and, and, and moved around uh, at the end of the season. There's supposed to be now this promotions type event uh, at the end of the season, it's going to be open to uh, the top 200 players in the world as well as some uh, top-notch amateurs where there's going to be three spots available for the 2024 season. Like, I think all that stuff is interesting. It's a reason why we pay attention to the hot stove or free agency in the NFL. Like, There clearly is interest there. But Rex, the big problem that live remains is that the actual product the actual competition. Wait a minute. I think Doug, Fer- Doug Ferguson wants to join the podcast. No? No? You don't want to join? All right. First appearance. Very well. Uh, the actual tournament competition, Rex, is the least compelling aspect. And you can look at the ratings. Like I saw a tweet that like literally 7,000 viewers were paying attention in New York City. There, there, there aren't any ratings. Saturday. I just, like, just, just talked about that. There, there aren't any ratings. Uh, according Whatever to ratings Oren you see. Of the Sports no. Business Journal. Uh, there, there aren't any ratings. That's, that's However, incorrect. in the... In, in, this, in this battle now where, where, where Liv has to stand on its own merits with its product, like, this, is, this was an unsteady start. Like, no one was paying attention. There was no interest. It's just 54-hole tournament competition among guys uh, that, with, with a top-heavy field. Like, they haven't quite figured out that part. And so... I don't know. I'm still kind of mad. I'm still kind of blah on it. I, I, I want to enjoy both products, and I can't, I can't bring myself to, to enjoy Live quite yet. Uh, I was asked in a, in a radio interview I did Sunday morning if I was going to watch any of the final round of the Live event, and I wasn't even trying to be condescending, but I was kind of doing a day job. Like I was, I was at the Honda to cover the Honda, so I, I needed to focus on that. So full disclosure, I did not watch. Uh, I watched a little bit of, of Thursday's opening round, actually, on the app, just to sort of Get a get a feel Friday. for what the vibe is going to be. 50, 50, to your, 54 holes, Friday. Uh, uh, Friday. Sorry. Yes. Can't believe I <laughs> missed five both there. Yeah. Yes. Five dollars. <laughs> Fine. Um, I will say you're 100 correct. It's it's the transaction, and this is no different than any other sport. And I feel like this is where they're going to have to cut into the market because I, I take the NBA. I'm much more interested in the NBA offseason than I ever yes. would be in the NBA regular season because or even like the trade deadline, about, like that's. Yeah. It's super compelling to see who's going to go where. But it, where, I, where that didn't play out last week for me is I don't know if you – I read the transcript and then I had to go watch the interview live because it was with, during Dustin Johnson's media availability earlier in the week. And a reporter was trying to get into this aspect of, oh, you traded away Taylor Gooch and you wanted to pick up this player. And, like, DJ had no interest whatsoever. Like, that's why I, I felt like I was losing the context in the transcript. So I actually had to go listen to the interview, and it was condescending on both sides, both the reporter and DJ, sort of just dismissing the idea. So it, it feels to me like these teams are missing the opportunity. I'll give total credit to our colleague, Bob Herrick. He did a story earlier in the week last week 
about sort of outlining the business model, the idea of how this we, we've kind of leaned into the idea that how is this ever going to be profitable? How, how do they ever make money off of this? I still don't 100 percent understand how it works out, but I thought Bob did a pretty good job, uh, the best job of anything I've read, of sort of pointing out, OK, this is how it works. And it's all about the franchises. And if you don't make these franchises something that are compelling, something that I, I don't know, if you're a fan of Ian Poulter, maybe you, you have a general curiosity and the Majestics. But it has to go beyond that. Like, you have to be passionate enough to go to Ian Poulter and tell him, hey, man, it's probably time we don't have three co-captains. Like, if you have three co-captains, you don't have one co-captain. Use the, you know, for the cliche. And so that's the only avenue I see them having because you're right. There was nothing about that competition last week that led me to change the channel. They're, I mean, they're obviously leaning into this franchise model. That's the only way that Live Golf is going to be profitable. If it's, if it's Dustin Johnson, who's the team captain of four aces or whatever it is, like can, can sell his four-man team to some corporate sponsor or some board billionaire and have them somehow get on board. That's how this thing is going to be sustainable. And so they're leaning into it, and yet I, I think most of the team captains seem somewhat ambivalent towards the idea. There's no... Like it's more like the the reporters asked me like what sort of team building are you doing or what did you do during the off season to kind of uh, develop all of this cohesiveness and there 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 really isn't any like I I kind of equate it to to college golf which I've covered basically since I started in this industry in in regular season college golf you have five players they all go out and shoot their separate scores and it's play five count four scores they are a quote unquote team and yet they are competing. As individuals, you just add it up at the end of the day and see how your quote-unquote team does. That's essentially what Liv is. Like, Brooks isn't gathering his squad for, for workouts, and they're not developing some, uh, some, some training practice facility. Like, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that, that Liv is banking on the ideas that the four aces or the smash or the crushers are going to be the Yankees and the Lakers and the Jaguars. Like, it's... That's going to take five to ten years, if not longer, to develop some sort of name association with these guys and with this model and what it all means. And I think it very much remains to be seen now that the Saudi backers who are entangled in the U.S. judicial system and obviously keen to make a profit now in year two are going to wait that long, wait the five to ten years that it's going to take for these live teams to actually – kind of penetrate the consciousness of the sports fan. I think it's, I think it's a very tall ask. Uh, no, I'm going to go the other way because I'm not going to pretend to know what the Saudis may or may not be, be willing to do long term because, I mean, they're in it for $2 billion already. So is it, you know, in it for a penny? Any that's, po- that's, pocket, that's pocket lint. Uh, maybe. And, and maybe another $2 billion this year and, and they'll just keep moving in their other direction. I mean, you're talking about a public investment fund that has three quarters of a trillion dollars in assets. So it's not as though they're going to take a hit financially on this anytime soon. I, I thought it was fascinating. And, and multiple times last week on the range, this got brought up. And I actually had dinner with two players last night and we had a, a long conversation. So let me throw this one at you. The idea that I, I think anyone who watched the Netflix documentary, certainly, specifically the Brooks episode, I think anyone who sort of took, paid any attention at all last week to some of the comments coming from Mayakoba, it seems to me Brooks and some others, and we can talk about them, are starting to have some sort of buyer's remorse. I don't think that's overstepping. I don't think that's wild speculation. I think they're getting to the point that they probably don't like the product. They don't like the demands on their time. They really like the paycheck, but after that, 
they didn't like what they had to had to do for it. So it, it came up in a, in a very real way last week that what's the rehabilitation plan here? And I'm not even saying that there is, but the tour is, I know for a fact, internally, working right now in how do we work these players back? How does Brooks come back? Because I, I point blank asked the tour official last week that my understanding is that let's say Brooks has played six live events. Is that a six-year suspension? Because that's my understanding. And the tour official ran away from me like he owed me money. <laughs> I mean, they're just not going to get into it right now. And the I mean, that is a thorny issue, Rex. If you if you have a what nine well, no, 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 no. Let me finish your signing bonus with Live, and then you want to work them back into the tour fabric. What 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 consequences would they have for their decisions? So this is the conversation last night at dinner. Uh, first and foremost, you're going to have a group of players that did remain loyal to the PGA Tour. Let's put Rory on top of that list. That probably are going to have something to say about this. Someone who did not take the Saudi money held the line, supported the tour, became the mouthpiece for the tour, and now all of a sudden you're going to welcome these people back. So there is going to have to be some sort of reconciliation, whatever it is we want to call it. One of the players that I had dinner with last night had a great plan. That All right, you can come back. It's going to be a year suspension. It's going to be X amount of fine, and it's going to be a seven-figure fine. It's going to have to come out of your pocket that goes to tour charity of your choosing. Make it eight. Seven, seven, eight, whatever the case may be. And you kind of have to base it on their signing bonuses with live, whatever the case may be. But the one, the part of that that I love the most is after your year suspension, you can come back and you have to play a minimum of 15 events. And none of those events count as designated events. You can play a completely non-designated event schedule and you can play your way into the playoffs. Like, so at the end of the season, if you're top 70, like have at it, we'll see you in Memphis. But for the year you're playing Honda, and Puerto Rico, and Valspar, <laughs> and I can keep going into the future. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, like, core purgatory. Brilliant. Yeah, like, I mean, Dustin's never doing that. Dustin has made it perfectly clear he's going to sail off into the sunset. But if Brooks wants to come back, if Bryson wants to come back, okay, this is the ultimate slap on the hand. You guys can have this, but you're going to play 15 non-designated events. I thought it was hmm. great. I still don't know how the tour would get around the fact that, I mean, Brooks' signing bonus was – Somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to 150 million dollars, according to sure. published reports, there has to be a greater punishment than just a one-year ban from the PGA Tour. And if anyone watched the Netflix Full Swing documentary, I don't think uh, we're revealing uh, any spoilers here. Where it, it, it's clear that Brooks is questioning the direction of his career, whether he still has the goods to win major championships, whether he still has the goods to win on the PJ tour. They kind of contrasted him right with Scotty Scheffler, who's upcoming and goes on a hot streak, which Brooks had been on four years earlier. And, and Brooks is kind of questioning how much left he has in the tank with his body breaking down. That is how Netflix at least portrayed his decision to go to live. And I think if anyone has watched Brooks play in live events, if anyone has listened to any of the interviews Brooks has given uh, at live events, he could not be more disinterested in the tournament competition or what they're trying to do. And so, yes, if he wants to get away back to the PJ tour, uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know where Brooks's heart's at. I don't know where his head's at. I don't know where his body is, but the PJ tour has to have something better than a one year ban. Does he relinquish some of that signing bonus? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how forthcoming players or, or willing they, those players would be uh, to forfeit up uh, that chunk of change. But, but yes, the rehabilitation process, the reintegration process 
uh, is certainly the tour something the tour is going to have to figure out and probably this, pretty quickly. This is an audio medium, so I apologize for anyone who's not going to be watching this. But it, just 30 seconds ago, Juan just walked by me with a plate of food that looked like it must have weighed 12 pounds. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm still laughing. I mean, it's like he's feeding a horse over there. It's nine thirty. It's probably it's probably his second breakfast. It probably is his second breakfast. Uh, I don't. Uh, sorry to uh, put the brakes on a very serious topic. Uh, I don't disagree with that. Again, I think the bigger issue is going to be those players who held the line, starting with Rory all the way down, like all of them. Let's go to Patrick Cantlay, for example, who clearly has who made the, flirty. Who would the tour even want to come back? Uh, well, that's the part that, and, and this was actually a player who I consider one of the good guys brought up last night at dinner. The idea that the tour needs villains. In which he's talking specifically about Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau. Like, look, you need both sides of the coin. You need the villains and you need the good guys. So you would have to welcome, on some level, them all back. You couldn't pick and choose. Now, like I said, Dustin's not coming back. Dustin is clearly going to just to go to his boat in South Florida and be more than happy with his millions. Good for him. Like, I don't think anybody is going to begrudge him. I think he's actually the one they they're missing the most. If you talk to any player, it's Player, well, yeah, players absolutely miss DJ the most. Like, I, I think if they were, it still remains to be seen, right, with what's going to happen with the court case in London, whether live players are going to be allowed to continue playing on the European tour, if they are allowed, if those guys can then qualify for the European Ryder Cup team. I think it only makes sense that the U.S. would then have to allow some players to play on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. I mean, DJ is the only one that they would be like, yeah, we can have DJ on the team. I think he's one of the best 12 Americans. I think DJ should be welcome back in the team room. I don't think they'd have a problem with it. Everyone else, the Brooks, Bryson. Uh, um, Cam Smith would, would be welcome back, I would think. Uh, I think Mike, Mike Weir <laughs> and, the, and the International President's Cup team would, would, would gladly have uh, Cam Smith back in the fold. That is such a thorny issue. I don't know where you'd begin uh, to, to start that process. But I do think, Rex, if you're talking about like a devastating PR blow, to live golf, it would be allowing some of those big name headliners, those huge signing bonus guys back uh, yeah. on the PJ tour. defect. I mean, that would essentially uh, undermine the entire project. Um, so that's very much TBD. Look forward to seeing how that one. Well, but it's not to, to put it. All right. So to put it in context, uh, I just know this because of the current court filings, Taylor Gooch's contract only runs through this year. So in theory, by the time we get to the end of this year, Taylor Gooch could be back on the market. And he could have an interest in coming back to the PGA Tour, so it, we're not. But as he would far be. Away but he'd this. be serving a at least a one-year suspension, I would think. Four, a fourteen-year suspension if, if if he's played all those tournaments uh, this year, whatever he played last year. Like, yes, it's 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 such years? a thorny issue. Yes, like it's it, <laughs> 20, it's a, it essentially would be a lifetime ban if if they go off the idea that initially you got a year for every live event you played. Now this is going to change. DJ, for example, immediately turned down his membership. How do those players fall yeah. into the room? How does the new regulation that allows the tour? I mean, he'd have to go to like Q school, or I mean, he could, get, new re- he, could, he could get a seven sponsor exemptions, I guess. How does the new regulation that the tour now can even sanction non-members? Like we're seeing that, like so, mm-hmm. it's not even though you can you can shield yourself by turning down, you, you know, your own membership. I, I just think it's such a slippery slope, but I think it's going to be a conversation that only becomes more prevalent as we get further and further into this. How much sleep do you think Jay Monahan's gotten over the past year? He can't, he can't be sleeping more than like two or three hours a night. There's no way. There's so much going on as it relates to the PGA Tour, whether it's the lawsuit, whether it's trying to appease the players who are currently on so they don't defect to live, although James Corrigan, our colleague with the Telegraph, reported that there is 
no more expected signings for the rest of 2023. This is why, Rex, at the beginning of the year, I said there was going to be less disruption, less contentiousness, less animosity as it relates to the PGA Tour live battle. Mm, I don't know about animosity. Because I see the rest no, of it. There is, there is no more drip, drip, drip of the rumors and the signings and the defections. It's not going to happen uh, in 2023. That's exactly why I said it uh, at yeah, the that's beginning gross. of the year. I forgot where I was going with this uh, as I got sidetracked uh, with the drip, drip, drip. Speaking of drip, 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 Rex, we'll be doing this podcast live from my backyard. We'll all be drip, drip, dripping uh, some of that keg beer into your Getty mug. We'll be doing this live from the outdoor kitchen next week. The big question, I actually can't believe it's taken us 44 minutes in this podcast to get to. What do you want to cook during next week's podcast? Uh, no, I actually thought about this because uh, the window is, has to be smaller than what your normal window is because you're a six, seven, eight hour guy. Like we can't do a brisket. Uh, like we don't, don't want, have I don't access. Be, I don't want to be pigeonholed in well, that. I'm a, I'm a pretty versatile cook. I, I want to do wings. I think wings is a good start. Right? That's exactly what I so, – so look, our typical podcast is 45 minutes to an hour, right? Sure. If I'm cooking wings on the Gateway Drum, which is what I would cook wings on, it's about 40 to 45 minutes. Let's donate any, any, any potential through. sponsors here. We can cook wings on whatever you provide. We're more than happy to cook wings. We'll be using a drum smoker, although if go. anyone wants to send us a grill, I will happily uh, do the wings on that grill as well. So I was thinking uh, doing wings on a <clears throat> drum smoker uh i was thinking um maybe you could do pork tenderloin on the pellet grill that could cook okay. hot and fast we should be able to finish that in 20 to 30 minutes you and i both need to be involved here i can't be tending to multiple fires no. No. at multiple times uh, yes, you and i will both be mic'd up and uh, i want to see if you potentially scorch something uh but that remains to be seen so i was thinking wings i definitely had wings written down uh pork tenderloin was a possibility what else what else were you kicking around? It's, it's, you got to have it in this 30 to 60 minute time frame. Well, yeah, because you can't. So we can't do ribs. We can't do a pork butt. We can't do brisket. Like it's, we could we start are the ribs earlier ahead of time and then just finish them up and, and talk it through. That's what I was thinking. Like do the fake TV thing whenever you see a cooking <laughs> oh, show on TV. What do we have here? Ding! Yeah. Look, it's, <laughs> it's finished an hour and a half later. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll continue to noodle, but it's, uh, you're, the, you're the pit master. You tell me. Uh, ribs is actually a good idea. We can put those on the pellet smoker, uh, and that would work out well. You can tend to those ribs since you uh, are a self-proclaimed rib expert. I can handle the wings, and we can talk about the Players' Championship. We'll talk about the Arnold Palmer Invitational, where you will be all week reporting for Golf Channel and GolfChannel.com. We should have plenty to discuss. Maybe that will even go longer than 60 minutes. But we will have a very fancy video production. Barbecue sponsors, please beat down our doors. We'll be happy to showcase you on this here Golf Channel podcast with Rex and Lab. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to check out our Golf Today hit on Wednesday. We talked about underdog stories and superstars, and that's going to do it for this edition. We'll talk to you next week live in the Outdoor Kitchen. I hate Bay Hills so much.